It is episode number 92 of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Christian Yelich, the National League MVP. Covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball, it's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. We do welcome you into another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. We continue with this podcast on an every week basis, even throughout the course of the offseason as we'll continue to talk all things Brewers baseball and appreciate you being tuned in. We'll go through the rundown of the podcast in just a moment, but let's start off with our normal housekeeping type items. If you need to uh, get in contact with me, best way to do so is by finding me on Twitter at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. That is the Twitter handle. Also, if you do listen to the podcast via Apple Podcast and you want to take a moment and uh, subscribe to the podcast if you don't already and also leave a ranking and review, that would be helpful as more and more people do continue to find this podcast. We've got a lot going on this week. Brad Ford is back. He's almost like a co-host of the show now. This will be the third straight week that Brad has made an appearance here uh, on our uh, podcast, and he's got one more week coming before he'll take a little bit of time away from the podcast. But uh, if you were tuned in last week, uh, you heard, and if this interests you and you weren't tuned in last week, I would encourage you to go back into the archives and find last week's podcast because we're doing kind of a full rundown. It's a prospect rundown. Uh, we called it a minor league report, but it's a prospect rundown. What's going on is, and we're doing this a lot later this year. We did it much sooner last year, but uh, a Brewers playoff run kind of delayed it a bit, and I'm okay with that. But uh, through our prospect rundown, what we're doing is we're taking a look at the guys who uh, did certain things uh, this past season and what that means for them going forward. Last year we focused in, uh, not last year, last week we focused in on the guys who uh, were predominantly at AAA and AA. This week we're going to focus in on the guys who are at single A, both high A Carolina and low A Wisconsin. And then next week we'll focus on uh, the recent draft picks and uh, the individuals who were playing short season baseball this past week so that's going to be our featured conversation when we do the down on the farm when uh, brad ford talks about the mudcats and the timber rattlers of this past season so that's going to be coming up in just a bit but clearly i need to open up the podcast by commenting on the big news of the week and that was the fact that christian yelich is your national league mvp and rightfully so uh yelich gets 29 of the 31st place votes. I had to kind of chuckle because I think Brewers fans have this tendency to believe that the team is going to be slighted in in some way. And I don't think that's completely off base. I think you can look at the way the manager of the year voting went and you can make that argument. And we'll talk about that more when we get to our headlines of the week in just a moment. But I there's I wouldn't say it's an inferiority complex, but I would say it's this sense of, I've used the term impending sense of doom before when talking about uh, a lot of the fans. We experienced that, uh, you know, you, you go back and. Uh, see the tweets, and if you could find a way to listen to my post-game shows from that weekend before the All-Star break when they got swept in the five-game series in Pittsburgh, I mean, you would have thought that that team was 30 games under 500 or something at that point. And that, not that that's unique to, to the Brewers. I, I don't think any fan base that has an expectation of winning would handle getting swept in Pittsburgh in five games very well. So I'm not trying to go there with this. But what I am saying is there's... I think there is a feeling at times that the Brewers are overlooked from a national media standpoint. And it doesn't help when you're playing in the postseason and there are some national TV guys who really don't know much about the team and they say some things that aren't completely factually correct. And then all of a sudden there's still that continued feeling of, okay, these guys don't completely the national media does not completely understand the brewers and i think there's some truth to that look there's this year the brewers were not on sunday night baseball a single time i'd like to know when the last time a team that played in the nlcs that year was not featured 
in Sunday Night Baseball and Sunday Night Baseball through the entire course of the season. There were not real super high expectations for the Brewers this year. They're in the smallest media market, uh, and it's just the way things are. So I've never, I've always thought that who cares what what's being said about the team from a national standpoint. But where it gets a little bit scary is when you've got individuals who are up for votes. So that's a that's a long sidebar to get to where I'm trying to go here. 29 of 31st place votes. 29 of 31st place votes. The only other individual who got a first place vote was Jacob DeGrom of the Mets. And he ended up finishing in fifth place. Everybody was worried about Javi Baez being able to uh, beat out Christian Yelich. And Baez got 250 total points compared to Yelich's 415. So a just a chasm between the number of points for Baez and the number of points for Yelich. And it just, what it does is it proves how incredible of a season Christian Yelich had this past year. And anybody who watched the Brewers knew how good he was. But for him to get 29 of the 31st place votes, and the one person who does not vote him first votes him second, so he gets every single one of his votes was either first or second, that's that's pretty incredible. It's it's really, really cool. And it's a, it's a great honor for him, and it just goes to show you what a, how good how amazing it is to for for Brewers fans to be able to go watch this guy on a night in and night out basis and you look at that trade and you know there was a while there right at the end of the season where somebody on social media retweeted or quote tweeted the original tweet from the Brewers on that Thursday last offseason when they acquired Christian Yelich in that trade where they sent a number of prospects back to the Marlins including Lewis Brinson I still think Lewis Brinson's going to turn into a pretty good Major League Baseball player probably a really good Major League Baseball player but he wasn't quite ready he was he was it was taking him some time to make that jump from being really good at AAA to being really good at Major League Baseball and quite honestly he has he still really hasn't made that jump I think this upcoming season is probably going to be uh, the year for Brinson but to go back and see some of the comments from individuals about the Yelich trade and how negative they were about it and for him to put together the season that he put together and then what he did down the stretch, what he was able to do in the final month of the season where the Brewers go on that incredible run and they're able to accomplish so many things in their final couple weeks that culminates with the best record in the National League and also um, and, and the best record in the National League and being able to get to game 163 and overtaking uh, the Cubs and all of that. Just really, really cool. So congratulations to Christian Yelich. Obviously well, well, well deserved. And it's going to be cool to see what he is able to do as an encore coming up uh, next season in his second season uh, with the Brewers. Remember, it took him a little while to get going. I mean, he had a good start to the season, but he didn't have an MVP start to the season after playing a full season uh, in Milwaukee and knowing the ballpark, seeing what he can do to start off next year. That is certainly going to be something pretty darn cool. All right, uh, again, coming up, uh, we've got part two of three of our prospect rundown. That's with uh, Brad Ford. But first, let's get to this week's headlines of the week. It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's headlines of the week. Well, clearly the first headline is the one that we talked about in our opening segment. Christian Yelich being named the National League MVP. He finishes in front of a Javi Baez, who is second. Nolan Arenado finishes third. Freddie Freeman, fourth. And then Jacob DeGrom uh, was the number five spot. DeGrom having won the National League Cy Young Award just a few days earlier. The rest of the top ten go uh, Paul Goldschmidt, Lorenzo Cain. He comes in seventh, so a nice showing for Lorenzo Cain. Trevor Story, the Rockies, eighth. Matt Carpenter, the Cardinals, ninth. And then Max Scherzer comes in number ten. Jesus Aguilar, by the way, he ends up with uh, in 16th place. He showed up on a few balance as well. So good for Aguilar. Uh, so the Brewers get three players listed. Yelich winning it. Uh, Locaine coming in seventh. And then Jesus Aguilar coming in 16th. A couple days earlier, Craig Council comes in second for the National League Manager of the Year Award. 
I was bummed out for him. I really was. I thought if I would have had a vote, and look, I'm, I watch the Brewers on an everyday basis, and I think sometimes there's just a, you know, there is that bias towards the team that you watch every single day. But with all due respect, and Brian Snitker did a really, really good job with the Braves this year. I hate doing these sort of things when you're talk. I don't like being put in the corner. This happens sometimes. You get put in this corner where you're not trying to talk bad about somebody, but you thought somebody did better. So I'm not trying to put Brian Snitker down. I'm trying to lift Craig Council up. And I thought Craig Council was uh, the manager of the year in the National League. If I had a vote for manager of the year, I would have gone Council 1. I would have gone Bud Black in Colorado 2. And then I would take Snitker 3. That's the way... Uh, I would have voted for those guys. I just think the way that Council managed the team, uh, the things that they had to do with pitching, just the, the the thinking outside the box, keeping the team together, so many things. And, oh, yeah, by the way, so the Brewers, and I know manager of the year is not based off your win-loss record because if it was, they would just give the manager of the year award to whatever manager was managing the, the top team in each league each year. So I, I get it. I, I get that it's not, you know, a lot of times it's about expectations and what you did against those expectations. And I guess you could argue from, the, I mean, from that perspective, if that's how, why you're voting for Brian Snitker, okay, I get it. Uh, the, the Brewers were expected to be a winning team this year. A lot of people had the Brewers in the playoffs. Not a lot of people had the Brewers as a uh, as a division winner, but after going and getting Yelich and Kane and, and going all in uh, with the trades in the year, it did seem like they were going for uh, and the trades in the year, not so much for this because uh, you know anybody who is at that point at that time of the year is going to try to make some moves. But clearly the Brewers were very much in contention for a playoff spot once when the season got started based off the personnel moves they had made and the success of the previous season. So I, I say all that to say this, it was tougher for the Brewers. Playing in a division with the Cubs, playing in a division with the Cardinals who really got going after they made their managerial change, and to end with the best record in the National League, I think that's a better accomplishment with all due respect to the Braves than what Brian Snitker did, uh, leading the Braves to less wins than the Brewers and playing a division that was much, much, much easier than the division that the Brewers were playing in. One man's opinion. Look, Craig Council got... uh, So Brian Snitker finishes with 17 first-place votes, nine second-place votes, and four third-place votes, and 116 points. Craig Council, 11 first-place votes, 13 second-place votes, and five third-place votes. Did I say that right? 11 first-place votes, 13 second-place votes, five third-place votes is what I meant to say if I did not say that correctly the first time. So it's it's not like these voters were leaving council off their list. Just a number of the voters, 17 of them to be uh, specific, thought that uh, Brian Snitker did a better job than Craig Council. I would argue against that. I thought council did a better job this year. But it's not like it was this big slap in the face to Craig Council that he didn't win it. He still finishes uh, in second place, and that is certainly uh, an honor for him. So uh, that's the way things went. Final headline of the week, Keston Hira, top prospect in the Brewers organization. Uh, great Arizona Fall League. He has been named the Arizona Fall League MVP, hitting 323, collected 33 RBIs. Uh, a number that only Mike Olt with 43 and 2011 had more in uh, in the uh, past 10 seasons. He also finished fourth in the league with five home runs. So that's a uh, that's a big season for Keston here. Congratulations to him. As he, he's somebody, it's not out of the realm of possibility that he could make his major league debut this upcoming season. And I think as we get into the offseason, we'll talk about this more and more moving into the offseason, what they do at second base and third base, because third base impacts second base, depending on what happens with Travis Shaw. What they do at second and third, I think you have to at least consider Keston Hira and when he might get to Milwaukee when those decisions are being made. Those are this week's Headlines of the Week. The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. 
It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm. Brewers X-Rays, the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. We continue on and it is time for our down on the farm report as we welcome back on. He was on last, he's been on the last two weeks and he'll be on next week as well. Uh, but we welcome back from uh, Brew Crew Ball, Brad Ford. Now, what you're doing, if, you have, if you're just finding the podcast and you're listening to the most recent episode, uh, I yes, I realize the date that we're solidly into November, but we are finally getting to our annual deal where we do a, a pretty deep dive on the different minor league teams and the individual performances from those teams this past year. Last year we did this much earlier. Last year the Brewers didn't make the playoffs, so everything changed this year. So we're doing it later this year. That's okay. There's not a ton going on uh, with the big league team here in the offseason quite yet, so uh, it's a good time to uh, do that. If you missed our conversation about really we did three things, the performance of the Arizona Fall League, AAA and AA, find that in the archives. Uh, We'll talk about the two uh, single-A clubs, High A Carolina and Lowe, Wisconsin. We bring Brad Ford back on. Hello, Brad. Thank you so for being so gracious with your time over these few weeks. You know, Matt, I just like the feeling like I'm a celebrity. <laughs> you make me feel like a really important part of the Brewer community. So, you know, it's anything to keep boosting my ego. You are you are a celebrity. You are you are a Brewers uh, Twitter twi- Brewers Twitter celebrity. That is uh, I- that is without a doubt a true statement. I can't wait for the angry reactions to that idea. <laughs> or the heckling I'll get from my brew crew ball peers. I'll th- you know what? Like, so when I do the post-game show, uh, I get tweets and I get text. Me- the text line is the worst. Like I get some really negative stuff coming my way. And I intentionally sometimes stay away from Twitter because I get enough negative stuff coming my way that I don't need more negative from Brewers Twitter. But you, you're right in the middle of it, man. You gotta, you're, you've got the vest on every night, and you're taking punches, and you're seeing all the crazy, ridiculous things that are being said. So kudos to you for all that. It's just Twitter. You know, Twitter comes with a lot of positive. I have a lot of friendships I've built for over the years on it. Um, but yeah, there's going to be the people who want to be a little bit more angry, want to be a little bit more shouty, or want to make it personal. It's just Twitter, it and or social media in general. It is what it is. Uh, but I know that there's overwhelmingly more nice people to interact with than there are those angry, angry people. Although it's easier to interact with the angry people because those are the ones who get you angry in return. It's uh, good for you. Good for you. I'll say that. It's uh, it's an interesting <laughs> place to say the least. All right, let's jump in. Uh, Carolina Mudcats. As it was a, it's kind of odd because. You know, different years. We talked in our last conversation about waves. There are years where you have a bunch of prospects on a team and not so many on another team. There's years where there's a lot of pitching prospects, like a lot of uh, sometimes position prospects. This was a Carolina team, and they they weren't great. They finished with an overall record uh, of 65 and 73. And you know, when I when we have these conversations, I, I try to really focus in on, on a few guys before we talk, but. There's some good stories. There's, you know, we talked about Keston Hira in our last conversation, um, but for the most part, nobody put up these ridiculous numbers or, or really, really good numbers over the course of an entire season. Cooper Hummel's a guy who played in 102 games. He ends up hitting uh, 260. What he had, uh, 50 RBIs, eight home runs. I'm having a hard time with with the position player group on talking about guys because there there isn't that one, two, three guys. We'll get into Feliciano in a second, but for different reasons. But there, to me, this team didn't have just those kind of the, the, the star power, if that makes sense. I, yeah, I mean, their superstar was – or anyone they did have that was good seemed to make their way to Biloxi fairly quickly. Um, and then the superstar in terms of performance was Weston Wilson, who, you know, hit 274 and had yeah. a 77 OP, or 777 OPS, which is good, but nothing that jumps off the page in terms of astounding performances. So they definitely were lacking the, like – eye-popping prospect this season 
if we're if we're judging guys by OPS, we're not going to include Nick Franklin. He played three games for him. Uh, we're not going to include Keston Hira because we talked about him already. But he was a nine eleven OPS. Obviously, that's good. Uh, Robbie Rojas played in thirteen games, so you barely count him. And he's at eight sixty. Then you get Cooper Hummel, who I just mentioned, eight oh seven. Uh, Dylan Thomas in thirteen games was eight oh six. And then there's Weston Wilson at seven seventy seven. So you're right, like that. That's seven seven seventy seven. Uh, seven seventy seven. Say that three times real fast. OPS doesn't jump out at you, but. The only other guy who played enough games who had a better OPS to even make reference to is Hummel. Yes. Um, and, you know, in terms of counting stats, her Weston ended up being a little bit more reliable. But those two are really the offensive leaders and no one who makes you really go, wow, what a performance. Um, so, yeah, it was a less exciting group than the Mudcats have had since the organization came over. Um, like you said, there are exciting stories um, or exciting kind of rejuvenating factors. I'm sure we'll get into it later, but like Devin Williams making his first appearance back on his way back from Tommy John surgery, um, formerly top prospect in the organization or a top prospect, uh, not the top prospect, but you know, him coming back is a big deal. Um, Nate Kirby is another interesting one because he was such a high draft pick looking at his success and how he's dealt with injury over the last few years. The always compelling Phil Bickford, but <laughs> nothing that like makes you no superstar performances in terms of names and people actually living up to expectations. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll get to the pitchers in a moment. Uh, well, this is going to be very quick on the position player group. Mario Feliciano, we mentioned him in our last segment because of the Arizona Fall League and him getting uh, a little bit banged up. I feel like his stock has lowered a little bit over the course of the last 12 months, but I'm, man, Brad, I'm still really excited about this guy and think he can be one heck of a catcher at the big league level. I think that's a good call. Uh, you know, just turned 20 or just about to turn 20 right yep two days um dealt with a lot of injuries this year was really banged up i'm guessing some of that's the toll that playing a full season takes on an 18 year old um when you know he actually played as many games at catcher as he did the year before um so he comes back takes a long time to actually get healthy enough to start uh, once he does, struggles, goes back because of injury. Once he starts getting a little hot, uh, comes back again. And like it was a lot of him moving between Arizona and rehab and coming back to the Mudcats. Um, so no consistency for him. And then when they put him in the Winter League, of course, injures his shoulder, has the shoulder surgery. And now that's it for the 2018 campaign for him. Yeah. Injury plagued, a lot of issues. Um, but overall... I still think he's someone to really note and the him falling off the prospect list is really unfair because it it's people looking at stat boxes versus people evaluating what actually happened in a season. I'm not trying to take a shot at any other catcher in the organization. When we get to the timber rattlers, man, there were a couple guys there that are, are really, really good. And I just, I still think the ceiling of Feliciano is higher than any other ceiling. Yeah. Um, the only other Nottingham who we mentioned last week for a, a very cursory period is probably has the offensive potential that he or more offensive potential than he has. And then when we talk about the Timber Rattlers, there's a guy who has the same defensive potential, but no combo of the two. Um, so he's really special in being one of those few and far between catching prospects who can be valuable at the plate and behind the plate so we messed up uh, i always uh, last year i remember trying to have this internal thought and this year i did too it's always the question when we're talking about guys who play at multiple levels do we want to sort them by who they played the most with or who they finished the season with and I didn't really come to a final decision on that. Uh, but all that being said, I probably should have mentioned mentioned uh, Trey Shupak. Shupak, excuse me, I've been saying his name wrong the whole time. You just told me off the air a little bit ago that I've been saying his name wrong, which is thank you to you and apologies to the uh, Shupak family. But uh, at Carolina, nine games, 2-1, and 1.76 ERA. Played 16 games at Biloxi, 6-6, uh, six six, 2.91 ERA right there. A lot of reason to be excited about this guy and he continues to put up pretty good numbers 
Yeah, another consistent arm. Big righty, six foot five, two thirty-five. Um, throws one hell of a breaking ball. Has good velocity on his fastball, and has uh, been rising through the system pretty steadily since they were able to acquire him from the pirate system in the uh, Jason Rogers trade. Uh, which that looks really good um, with Keon Broxton and Trey Supak coming up, shoe pack coming over. It's just hard because it doesn't look that way. No, Matt. it does not. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it's been that the name has been difficult for me as well. And I think there's been many a time where I've been on here and said it wrong myself. So, um, but he controls the ball very well. Um, always seems to have a little bit of bump in the road when he moves from level to level, but a guy who, you know, really looks like he will have a role in this team not might have a role looks like he will have a role in the brewers organization at some point um if he fails to develop as a initial out getter um he has the stuff to be a powerful back end guy and but i really think he's going to be a, a guy who can go five or six innings for the brewers when they need him to one of the best stories this past year was a guy who's a, a native of the of the area in Beloit and, and Cam Regner, who uh, at with uh, Carolina was really good. Nineteen games, two point one six ERA. He got opportunities at both Double A and Triple A. The numbers were not there for him uh, at that point. He. He doesn't look like a guy who is on the path to, you know, big time success at the big league level, but he's a little bit of an older guy as well. All that being said, if we want to focus in on some cool stories, especially his time at the single A level, it was it was a pretty cool story to see what he was doing. Yeah. Um again, I mean it's just cool to see this uh Beloit guy. I even got his uh, bobblehead this year, uh go through and have the success in the organization. Uh you know, advanced metrics really don't defend what he put together. Um, and as a south-throwing lefty, that's something that doesn't really surprise a lot or shouldn't surprise you. Uh, throws under 90 um, and just, you know, doesn't have any overwhelming stuff. Controls the ball well, though, and that helps him be very successful against these lower-tier players who don't have advanced success. Um I think he has the opportunity to have success. Maybe he can be um, like Brent Suter, um, someone who, you know, is able to put a good career together. I I think I'm more hopeful because of his story more than anything else. Uh, but he watching him, he does locate well. Um, he does have a very good feel for his stuff on the mound. And even though it's not overwhelming, just being able to locate it well is something that can normally go a long way. And even though his numbers were awful in Biloxi and that very short stint in Colorado Springs, they were both, I mean, cumulatively, they were 22 innings. So we'll see. I think it's hard to imagine him being anywhere but Biloxi next year. And hopefully he can keep the success because then you have a kind of Nate Orff type situation, a player who shouldn't find success, finding success in the organization. And it's another people player uh, person for the fans to cheer around. I spent two years uh, cutting my teeth from a broadcasting perspective in independent league baseball. So I, I love, I love guys who get signed out of the independent leagues and have some success and Luke Barker's one of those guys. 46 games this year, 2.21 ERA. Uh, the rest of his uh, baseball card numbers look pretty good as well. 1.03 whip, uh, 213 average against. This is I don't know if I've ever mentioned Luke Barker on this podcast. Maybe I have, but uh, he's another guy that at the end of the season, man, those numbers look pretty good. Yeah. I mean, a Division two guy no one really paid attention to. Went to the Indy League and just believed and kept pushing and pushing and pushing hoping that he'd be able to find a spot uh earned his way into you know enough of a position where people actually paid attention to him and you know and in 46 outings able to strike out 26 percent of the batters he faces while more or less keeping things uh controlled in terms of limiting walks uh you know age is something to be concerned of but uh I understand that he is a Packer fan uh, because of his connection to Chico, California and Aaron Rodgers. Hmm. So that's another reason to be a fan of him for those listening who are Wisconsin loyalists. Uh, Definitely a guy who 
um, I know a lot of my peers are very, very excited about in terms of the performance he's been able to have and being in kind of off the radar guy, finding a lot of success. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he has the success he had at this year at Carolina. Um, if he jumps from Biloxi to San Antonio very quickly, uh, definitely a reliever profile, but um, you know, someone who they let have the back end of the bullpen and they wouldn't have signed him when they did at his age, if they didn't think he had the potential to have an impact at the major league level. So he looks like a potential back into the bullpen guy. Um, Connor Harbor, he he finished out the year, I believe, at Double A. If I've got that right, but he spent most of the season made uh, twenty five appearances, eleven starts with Carolina, four point four, two point two six ERA, WHIP at one point two three. Let's see his Double A numbers, just to be fair on everything. One and one, three point nine eight ERA, appeared in four games there. So uh, a guy that uh, just got that cup of coffee at Double A, but his his Carolina numbers, another guy who looked really good this year. Yeah. Um, you know, when he came up to Biloxi, did have to deal with injury a little bit, so that hampered his performance. Um, another guy who, with, um, I don't know if this is a fair statement, but underwhelming stuff in terms of what you're looking in in your power prospects. Um, you know, not a lot of strikeouts, even struggles with command, but has been able to find a lot of success because he mixes his pitches well and can keep hitters off balance. Uh, and that leads to a lot of bad contact and the strikeout when he needs it. Um, they mixed him between those, uh, you know, games started and actually, you know, going into relief. So I think if anything, if he were able to make a future, he'd be long relief. I think this is a guy we should kind of take a note on, but, uh, you know, really hold back in patience in terms of his development to see what he's going to be, um, you know, a late draft pick back in 2015 in round 16 um older guy we'll see how his development goes Uh, but at least he's had success at the lower level so far which is uh boating well and like i said if it weren't for injuries we'd be able to get a good peek at him biloxi but um in the four games he dealt with some problems and we'll see how he comes back this year Two more guys to talk about at this level, and not so much about their numbers, but just the fact that they got onto the mound. First off, Phil Bickford, 21 games, 4.67 ERA. This guy's been a prospect. He's somebody who uh, they traded for. He's somebody who has had a lot of off-field stuff. And he finally got out there pitching, was able to serve suspension and get out there pitching. You know, guys like that who have so many bumps in the road you really never know what that's going to if they're going to be able to you know become the guys that they were prior to the bumps or if those are going to be the things that you know when they're 50 years old they're going to look back and say man if I wouldn't have made those decisions I might have had a 10-year major league career uh, just but I mean and we can't really comment on that right now all we can say is well at least he got on the mound this season Right. Uh, with Bickford, the big concern is not just the off-the-field stuff, but actually his velocity has been dropping pretty severely. Um, he went from a guy when he was drafted out of community college uh, by the Giants that was throwing high 90s, and now he's a guy who, you know, 91-92. So he's been relearning to pitch, and he hasn't been having a lot of success while doing that. Um, a lot of time off the field in the last two years, 2017 and 2018, he has had 51 innings on the mound, um, and 17 of those were at the rookie level. Hmm. So, I mean, this is a big year in terms of determining where Bickford's stand in the organization is. Um, he really needs to step it up. I know fans are still very excited about him, but I would definitely temper those expectations. Uh, still very wild, um, which leads to a lot of strikeouts because he does have decent secondary stuff but without that velocity he isn't the pitcher he was when the brewers traded for him and he's gonna learn real quickly the stuff the guys are uh swinging at at carolina they're not gonna swing at at double a no not at all uh last guy devin williams we made reference to him a little while ago 14 appearances 34 and he's a guy who he was fighting through injury and and good to just see him back on the mound Right, you know, suffers Tommy John that ends uh, the very end of his 2016 early, misses all of 2017, comes back uh, about midway through the 2018 season. They seem to, with their Tommy John recovery pitchers, limit them in their first season back to two or three inning appearances. So anytime Devin Williams had trouble, it was really exacerbated in the box score and the counting stats. So when you look at that 582 ERA, take it with a grain of salt because, you know, it could be him just giving up two runs in three innings and that ends up ballooning an ERA pretty quickly. 
but overall he had strong performances it was able to you know really strike people out his velocity looked good um I am pretty optimistic about his future in the organization if he can stay healthy and continue to develop. A guy who a lot of people were high on a few years ago, uh, coming out of high school when the Brewers picked him in 2013. A little bit older now, but with the recovery from Tommy John surgery, uh, perhaps can be a good player in the bullpen. Um, His velocity looks good. His pitches look good. um, Has some really good off-speed stuff to work with. A guy I'm definitely keeping an eye out on this season. Going to Wisconsin and the Timber Rattlers, man. I love. I said this too during the course of the year. I think I really like this Timber Rattlers team. There are so many interesting guys on this team to me as the season uh, went along. They came up just short of making it into the postseason, but they were right there at the end. And we've talked about catching a little bit because we talked about Feliciano a bit ago. And the guy I think you were referencing that we would get into is uh, Peyton Henry, who uh, is a really good player. And he, 98 games this year, 93 of them he played as a catcher. Uh, he was catching every single time, and I think all his other appearances uh, were was as a pinch hitter. I don't think he played any other position. So 93 games as a catcher uh, this past year for, for Henry. And if I'm going to sit here and say Feliciano to me is maybe that top uh, guy in the minor leagues, and I'm not counting Nottingham uh, who, in terms of catching prospect, Peyton Henry's got to be right next to him. That's That's that next guy to be really excited about. Yeah, and I think he's even surpassed Feliciano due to Feliciano's bad season in terms of a lot of the prospect rankings. Um, a guy who had a really, really, really good start to the first half, um, tired playing his first full season of baseball. Of course, the catching position is very taxing on a player, um, but still young, still 21, turns 22 next June. Um and, I mean, looking at his first half numbers, he hit 286, 342, 452 uh, with his five home runs, uh, you know, walked a fair amount and kept the strikeouts limited. In the second half in 51 games, struck out 77 times compared to 47 times in 47 games in the first half. Um, power, you know, he still hit five home runs, but the other power numbers went down. Um, and he hit 183, 314, 308, which never good to see the OBP above the slugging percentage uh, in terms of how you're evaluating hinders. Uh, patient at the plate, normally ma- t- waits for a mistake and takes a good pitch. Uh, someone I'm very high on. Again, he's really good defensively, uh, and I think the potential or the offensive potential is still there. Um, and if Peyton Henry doesn't get healthy soon. He's definitely someone who'll be nipping at his heels to overtake his position in the organization and try to beat him to the major leagues, hold on to that top catching spot in the organization. A guy who uh, started off the season with the Timber Rattlers went up, uh, but ended up putting up really good numbers at Wisconsin, not as good numbers at Carolina, so that's why we're talking about him in this segment. Uh, Scovia 347 uh, had an OPS at 838 of everybody who appeared for the Timber Rattlers at any point in the season. That was the second best OPS. Only Eddie Silva, who only played in 33 games, ha- had a better OPS. Uh, this guy, he opened up a lot of eyes, especially with what he did with the Timber Rattlers. You would think he would be a candidate to uh, repeat then at Carolina next season. Yeah, absolutely. I see him at Carolina again next season, but uh, showed a lot of that um contact skill in wisconsin he's a good contact hitter can really put the ball in play and then uses decent speed to take advantage of that uh, you know foreign signing from venezuela um who really was off a lot of fans radars coming into the season and became a fan favorite based on his performance in wisconsin um i don't see him really reproducing that often uh, not a big power guy uh, kind of seemed to fall lucky into a lot of the power numbers that he put up to given the 441 slugging. Um, seems like a guy where his slugging percentage will be pretty close to his on-base percentage more often than not. And as we talked about, that's not always good. He did deal with a couple of injuries at Carolina, so it's always good to take pause and evaluate. Well, we might not have been seeing his best form. So um, a guy I haven't written off, but you know, a guy who I think is one of those people who maybe we have to have caution because maybe he just had one good season and that's why he's noteworthy. But I always want to give them all the better of the doubt because Segovia seems to be um, just a fun guy and a fun player. And 
and a guy who will give a lot of people the time of day when they come up to him. And you always want to cheer for those types of people. The top prospect uh, on the team, Tristan Lutz, a guy who's right now number five, according to MLB Pipeline. And all of his tools, he's uh, the uh, the scouting scale in, in baseball is uh, is kind of an it's an interesting. We don't have time to explain it, but he's at fifty or better on on all five of the uh, of the tools. We're talking hitting, power, running, uh, his arm, and also his ability to field. Did he do? Everything that you would have liked him to do this year? At 19, um, playing full season for the first time? Absolutely. Um, you know, it took him a while to develop, had a lot of a lot of trouble in April. Hit 181, 234, 306. Then really got into a groove. Uh, in May and June, he hit over 250. The power numbers started to come along. Then in July, that all came together, where he hit 304 with a 967 OPS. And then it dips back down in august whenever teenagers play their first full pro season of baseball and he was 20 for a portion of it but mostly a teenager still um i like to give him the benefit of the doubt on the last half uh he started to show power despite playing in a colder environment for most of the season um and i mean his fielding looks spot on i really don't think that's going to be a concern i think the bat will come along um and as he transitions and builds muscle yeah, he's going to be an exciting guy who deserves to have that top five spot. We uh, we were talking off the air a little bit ago, and there's actually a couple guys on the Timber from the, who played for the Timberados this year that were part of some trades late in the season with uh, Demi Ormoloy, KJ Harrison. Uh, it, we'll pause for a second here and say and, and ask you kind of pause from talking about individual guys as they made trades, especially maybe that second grouping of trades at the end of August. Was there anybody who left the organization that really bummed you out? I would say Or Malloy. I mean, he has a great speed slash uh, power combination, uh, and I thought his potential was phenomenal. Um, a guy who came in, didn't really play baseball full-time, came from Canada um, when he was drafted, even though that wasn't his country of origin, because um, he was born in Nigeria, came from Canada, and but his power speed combination was phenomenal and he was just a fun guy to watch in the outfield to make plays um had a really good arm someone who i just generally enjoyed he's one of those players who you just watch and you have fun just watching that type of player um so when they gave him up for curtis granderson definitely something i was disappointed in uh kj harrison was one who never really came along um in his, well, I mean, this was his first full season, and he was having a lot of troubles. So it kind of took some of the excitement away from him. And then you had Gilbert Lara, who's been in the organization for so long now that he's lost a lot of the prospect hype, despite him only being, what is he, uh, 21? Um, but, you know, when they traded for Gio Gonzalez and him having an actual good year, um, that was a little bit disappointing, too, because it was almost like we were finally seeing everything we were waiting for come to fruition. But I don't Harrison and Lara didn't really strike me as guys who were going to make a big impact at the major league level. And Orm Malloy still had a lot of risk in terms of his development. So I think they made smart trades. But uh, uh, out of them, Orm Malloy was the one I was most disappointed in just because of he probably had the highest ceiling out of a lot of the prospects, even looking at the top prospects, once he, if he ever put the tools together. We're in our next uh, next week when we go into the short season. We're gonna we're gonna also talk about some guys from, who had okay numbers with the Timber Rattlers, uh, pro, like prospect like Ashby who appeared in seven games, and uh, even a, a Scott Sonnich who put up pretty good numbers. He's another college guy. You never really know uh, how to look at those numbers. We'll touch on those guys a little bit more coming up next week. Uh, but Clayton Clayton Andrews is a guy who appeared in fourteen games with the Timber Rattlers, six and one, one point three three ERA, twenty seven innings uh, down the stretch what do you take away from this guy um i really liked his performance a uh, strong lefty uh you know he's only five foot six so very very tiny but a very advanced pitcher coming from long beach state um able to really toy on the plate with some of those younger hitters and find a lot of success and that's what leads to the 42 strikeouts and just five walks in 27 innings um it definitely somewhat i want to cheer for 
but something where I don't put a lot of stake into his numbers. I want to cheer for him because everyone says you shouldn't be able to play Major League Baseball unless you're such and such height. And I want him to prove those concepts wrong so badly. But at the end of the day, he's a five foot six lefty who, you know, is at most a reliever if he is able to advance further in the organization. Um, doesn't really have much of an elite skill set, just pitches pretty well in terms of his pitchability. Um, but maybe he's one of those flukes and he comes along. Um, I need to see more of him, but right now he's kind of off my radar in terms of players who are going to have a long-term impact in the organization. He's a left-hander with the first name Clayton. That worked out okay for the Dodgers. <laughs> right. Same situation. You know, Clayton started out at five foot six, then they gave him some HGH <laughs> to pep him up. I do not mean that. Please don't come sue me, Clayton Kershaw. I will be very upset if it happens. Um, no, um, you know, yeah, it's probably the same exact thing and he's going to be the future ace and he'll record if one day we'll have like a relationship. He'll take this recording back, play it back and then throw a drink in my face and walk off and he'll never talk to me again as he is like going to make his first start for the world series. As long as there's video of it, I'm good with that happening with all due respect. <laughs> oh, I appreciate it. I see what I get for coming on. For you giving me this time slot on your podcast that you host, and it in no way is a favor to me, or is a favor to you. It definitely is a not favor to me, but something I greatly appreciate. No, I, I, I'm I'm glad to have you. I just I'm I'm dreaming of a day on YouTube that you can uh, that you can do a search for Clayton Andrews throws drink into face of Bradford. Probably going to happen. Okay, uh, three guys made twenty-two starts or more for the Timber Rattlers. None of them put up fantastic numbers, but it kind of goes back to what I was saying before. Especially in the lower minor leagues, when you got guys starting every single time for an entire season, it says something. So let's start with uh, Christian Togner, seven and seven, three point four nine ERA. I hope I said his last name the correct way. One hundred and twenty-three uh, innings for him. I guess I'm going to kind of throw these guys at you. How much, when you look at these guys, how much do, do they really have that potential to move on? Or are these guys who are going to be more organizational players than anything else? So let's start with Togner. Togner, I say, is an organizational player. Uh, put up good numbers, uh, but, you know, at 23, a late draft pick in 2017, um, you know, he struggles getting guys to miss on his pitches, um, has good command, which should help him get put up good numbers in the lower minors. Uh, he seems like one of those guys who might touch the majors, but never do anything of substance in the majors. So uh, I think he's more organizational depth in the long run. All right, uh, next one. Dylan File is somebody who went eight and ten with a three point nine six ERA in twenty five innings, hundred thirty six. Or excuse me. 8 and 10, 3.96 ERA, 136 innings, 114 strikeouts, and just 28 walks. That's the impre- You want to look at the impressive aspect of his line. There it is, 114 strikeouts and 28 walks. A file I like. Uh, he has a great birth date. Uh, the exact same as Freddie Peralta and the exact um, the same day as another fantastic individual that I know. Um a guy who really works his pitch as well, has a good off-speed pitch, seems to be kind of the victim of heavy swinging by younger players at the lower levels. Someone I think is going to have more success as he advances in his career and could be one of those now famous late-round college draft picks that the Brewers are able to turn into a substantial player later on. So June 4th, right? Is that the birthday? Yeah. Do you want to share the other, uh, the other person that you're we're just going to move on from that? Well, it's me. You you referred to yourself as fantastic, so I was just making uh, making. But you are you are. I just wasn't sure if there was self gloss going on there or not. I I said th- I said three. I'm gonna throw in one more guy because he made 19 starts, and I've I've heard good things about it. I um, especially I, I remember talking Chris. You know, we had Chris Marion on the podcast fairly often. Uh, Bowden Francis, five and eight, four point four one ERA. Again, numbers aren't great, but he's somebody that seems like there's a lot of positivity about this guy. Um, I'm very high on him. Has great secondary stuff, in my opinion. Um, good, just like overall presence on the mound. Um, mid to low 90s fastball. Um, pretty good changeup. Uh, pretty good breaking pitch. Um, 
I, I mean, you can see him go long distances where he dominates. And then I'll have two or three games where he gets beat up. But overall, out of any of them, this is the guy I'm the highest on. And I think if anyone's going to turn into that collegiate pitcher who you weren't expecting much of, it will be him or also from that draft class, Jason Rose. All right, last guy, Nelson Hernandez, 4.95 ERA, clearly nothing to write home about. But you talk about a guy who takes the ball every fifth day, 28 starts this year for the Timber Rattlers. Uh, organizational depth. Um, he's not a guy who has found a lot of success at any level. Um, kind of seems to be a junk ball thriller when you watch him on the mound. Uh, doesn't really have anything too special to offer and definitely doesn't fool guys at the plate. So um, reliable guy who can help the organization just by putting a lot of innings in the minor leagues. Someone you should respect for that, but not someone I anticipate ever coming up to the major league level. All right. Fair enough. That's going to do it for our single. Is there anybody else that I should be, you know, you, they got a million guys. Uh, anybody else that you want to hit on here with the Timber Rattlers before we uh, uh, call it a, a day for the single A portion of our uh, conversation? Let's just take a cursory look to make sure you didn't miss anyone on the roster. There's Carlos Herrera, um, had a bad season, but someone who had a good season last year. Kind of another piece with Freddie Peralta that came on the Adam Lynn trade, who. Um, but his season was nothing special, but a guy to keep on people's radars. And really, um, that's all in terms of additional people I'd mention. And he, uh, uh, the next we'll get to next week. Rodrigo Benoit, is that a guy? I mean, he, he had okay numbers, spending some time there? Meh. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> that's my take on That's my take on Rodrigo Benoit. Put okay. it down in the scouting report. Eh. <laughs> e- e- E-H or E-H-H? Uh, E-H-H. Okay, double H, double H. That is Brad Ford. We are going to uh, call it a conversation for now, but don't worry, he will be back next week, and uh, we're going to touch on the uh, some of the draftees from this past year and guys who perform well at the short season level at both uh, Helena and uh, also with the uh, Arizona League Brewers. Again, uh, don't know a whole lot about these guys early on in their careers, but we'll touch on some of them coming up uh, next week. So, uh, Brad, thank you. We'll talk to you again next week. Can't wait. All right, that is Brad Ford joining us uh, for part two of three of our prospect rundown across the Brewers minor league system. Again, if you didn't uh, catch it last week, you can go back into the archives and find our conversation that focused in on the AAA and AA guys, this conversation focusing in on the single-A guys at Carolina and Wisconsin. And then next week, we are going to uh, have our third part of the conversation with Brad where we're going to focus in on the guys who predominantly played uh, short season ball this year and uh, guys who were drafted. We got into one draftee uh, because he played uh, a fair amount with the Temple Rattlers, but we'll get into most of the draftees coming up in uh, next week's program. That's going to do it for this edition of Brewers X-Trans Podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Again, you can always reach out to me on Twitter at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. Thanks so much for being tuned in. We look forward to talking to you next week. It is Brewers X-Trans, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.